Iowa everywhere. Jordan Bohannon, Jared Stansberry. It's Jared and J-Bo on Iowa Everywhere. This is Iowa Everywhere. Yo, welcome into the podcast. Jordan's on the road again. Where are you at now? Where where in the world is Jordan Bohannon? Jordan Bohannon is in Long Island today and going back home for a long home stretch tomorrow. I'm so excited. What uh, what do you think of Long Island? Um, overcast skies. <laughs> a lot similar to Iowa feel right now. I don't know, dude. I the days are blending together at this point. Like it's end of January. Like I don't even know what day it is anymore. My sanity is gone. I knew you had to be out of it when you texted me on Monday and asked about doing the podcast. Yeah, I, was like, to be honest, I thought it was Wednesday or Tuesday. I don't even know. I don't know what else. That's, it was early for me to say that. I was going to say, you were trying to plan it out way ahead of the of when we normally would. I was like, oh, okay, we're going to do this this week, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. We were, we're on like six games in eight days. Shit's wild. Welcome to the G League. <laughs> hey, it could be worse. could be oh, worse. I'm not complaining at all. I'm just saying it's when you, when you start like – traveling i mean i'm sure there's some people that listen that travel a lot for work like it's crazy like how your sleep schedule gets messed up like you start eating breakfast at two o'clock in the afternoon it's just crazy uh, as long as you've got your syrup when you have your breakfast at two o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> that's true i'm on a roll good, right, right now with my syrup are you yeah, I don't. I don't remember the last time my Uber Eats driver I forgot my syrup, or I forgot my syrup at a restaurant. You probably gave someone such a bad review the last time they forgot your syrup that you just—they're like, "We're never making this mistake again." That's probably what it is. A funny thing is, too, is my brother Zach got me syrup for Christmas, like a big bottle of syrup. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's it's gotten to that point in our family. Now you have to carry a bottle of syrup around with you just in case. I had one in my backpack last road trip. We need a we need a sponsor of the podcast a syrup sponsor the official syrup of of the podcast would be unbelievable or we make our own syrup oh there we go yeah yeah that'd be even better we got to go to Vermont and like tap the trees you know to try and is get it like to a, flow out is that like a old folk legend I don't believe that Vermont has the best syrup well I mean I think that that is where they make most of it I, oh, I guess I don't know. know I don't know I don't but know. they have to get the sap from the trees you know. You can make syrup though in Iowa, like Indian Creek is by my old house and they make syrup like literally in Eastern Iowa. I guess I don't know enough about the syrup making process to really be able to weigh in, but, uh, I'd know Vermont is where they say has the best. I don't know. Well, let's fucking go. Vermont's been along for around for a long time, a lot longer than Iowa. So they probably just got the, you know, first come first serve. Well, I mean, yeah, Vermont was like one of the original colonies, wasn't no, it? No, it wasn't in the original. There's no way. What What do you mean there's no way? Vermont was the original 13 colony? No, it wasn't. Yeah, you're drunk. Yeah, it wasn't. Well, there's no way then that Vermont was not like founded well before Iowa. It's right by all the colonies relatively bro we didn't even know iowa existed when we got here i mean people knew iowa existed there were indians living there native americans can you please have some oh my (laughs) i'm not getting canceled because of you because you just (laughs) you don't know how to use the correct terminology okay All right, Vermont's March fourth, seventeen ninety one. I think I was like eighteen forty. So yeah, so only fifty years. Eighteen forty six. Damn, I was really close in Iowa. So just think how how much time Vermont had to get their corner on the the syrup industry. Fifty years okay. of time. Well, what about this? In the summer of, in sixteen seventy three, French explorers Louis. Juliet and Father Jacques Marquette traveled down the Mississippi River past land that was was to become Iowa. That was 1673. I bet there was people in Vermont in like 14 something. Well, probably before then. 
I bet there's people in Going Ireland. back to the fact we took people's land again. Yeah, we wanted it more. I guess so. I suppose that's one. <laughs> I suppose that's one way to put it. That is one way to put it. Uh, Iowa State wanted it more last night against Kansas State at Hilton Coliseum, an eighty to seventy six oh, win over the, <laughs> over the number five Wildcats. Ooh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a tough one. Uh, we'll talk about Iowa basketball later on as well. They got a couple big games coming up here uh, over the rest of the week. Uh, three games in, what, five days uh, for, for the Hawkeyes coming up here over the next uh, week or so. Uh, I do want to get you, talk to you a little bit about the Chris Street documentary that you uh, participated in that, that ran last week. That was incredible. Um, and then uh, Steve Prom has joined our crusade against the officials and we would we'd like to welcome him into the into the officiating haters crew uh but let's start with the cyclones last night 87 80 to 76 against kansas state uh lost a close one to oklahoma state on saturday down in stillwater but iowa state to bounce back get a big win at home against uh, another of the top teams in the big 12 I mean, the Cyclones have put themselves right in position to be in the mix going into February and, and give themselves a chance to to make a run at the Big 12 title. Uh, that win last night was impressive. I think that Kansas State team is is every bit as good as what their their rankings would indicate. Yeah, I would say kind of caught them at a great time too. I would say playing well and Kansas State coming off a huge victory um, against a really good Kansas team. So when you have a team like that, like Kansas State coming off an emotional win in state rival game, they're not they're not going to play. It's hard to get to that same level of competition that next game. I'm not saying they weren't ready to play, but when you're coming off an emotional win like that, that is really hard to duplicate again and again, especially at a, a environment like Hilton is. So I was I wasn't surprised. I would say was going to knock them knock them off, but um, it was a really great basketball game at the end of the day. Yeah, I think you're seeing, uh, you know, Iowa State right now be able to battle through kind of the dog days situation that they're in right now. You know, Jazz Koontz has been out for for however long. You've got Caleb Grill who's banged up now. Uh, it's just like it. There's an element of it becomes a war of attrition, you know, in the Big Twelve just because there are so many guys who get banged up. Uh, but it just seems like this Iowa state team has a knack for making the right, like the play just when they need you to, you know, like whether it's Taman Lipsy going in and getting four offensive rebounds and you're able to get some easy buckets off of those, whether it's, you know, Caleb girl who's in and out of the game all night with that dealing with that back injury, uh, you know, comes in and knocks down a big three pointer late that puts you back up four points. It just is, they just have that ability to step up in the big moments. You know, it doesn't matter how well they've been playing before then it's like it, when it's your time to make a play and it's time for you to, to get something done and in crunch time, more often than not, they're able to get it done. Yeah. And, and Gabe Kelsher continues to be the X factor guy. Um, I, I never like using the word X factor. I think that's just a terrible term for basketball. Like every guy should bring energy to the team. But if you were to name someone on the Iowa state team to say that corny name for them, that would be Gabe Kelsher. I think when he's able to play like he has been playing, I mean, he's showing he's able to shoot the ball at an extreme level now. Um, something that he's been struggling with this last few years at Iowa state, when he's able to play like that, Iowa State's a totally different team. And that helps burden the pressure off a little bit of Iowa State's offense because if Caleb Grill is not 100% healthy and not shooting the ball like he's capable of doing, they need someone else to step up and hit from three-point um, territory like he's able to. And that, that creates a diff different dynamic for this Iowa State team. I uh, I heard on your, your other podcast last week you guys called Caleb Grill a, a scumbag. Yep. And I stand by that. He's on the scumbag list. I, I don't know if I think that Caleb Grill Caleb Grill's a very nice guy. I don't know that he oh, fits I, into the scumbag category. The scumbag the scumbag category or list we have is not saying you're a bad human being. Well, I mean, it just does, it does have a very strong connotation that you are indicating they're a bad human being. No, um, this is on the court. What he what he did at Texas player, he should have been ejected for. I don't know about ejected. It absolutely should have been a foul, though. I'm not sure that I would say he should have been ejected. I think he should have. From the replay, I've watched the replay dozens of times. And maybe How many times did you watch it in full speed? It, we're, we're in the slow motion version. Lots of times. When we're breaking it down, this is a Pruder film. 
you know. I wa- I watched it a good amount of on I even times two on it. On two speed. <laughs> <laughs> I because you saw him take a look at Yeah. Um I forgot to text the guy's name. Dylan but, Mitchell. Yeah. yeah, Dylan Mitchell. And right before he went up while like he was midair, he looked and saw from what you can see on the film that he was already midair. So he undercutted him. And again, I'm not saying he's a bad human being. Shit like that happens, but yeah, I'd say I, I think it's just happening too fast. Like there, the number of people you saw that did come out and say he's trying to hurt him, and I'm like, I mean, I don't think okay. that anyone can think that quickly that they're like, oh, this guy with a 45 inch vertical is hanging in the air. I'm gonna dive into this like into his legs and hurt him. Like the idea of that is completely crazy. You know, I agree, but there's also a lot of Iowa State fans. Because I tweeted the video and there's and there's a few saying that yeah you sent it to me like I was supposed to be the one to defend him I'm yeah. like I'm not going to defend that I know I know I'm glad I'm glad you didn't bring your bias out but there's there's a picture of me from high school where I went up to block a shot and a guy did dive into my legs like that and flip me up in there so you know what it feels like I was parallel to the floor yeah yeah but you're still here well barely I was knocked out next thing I knew my dad was standing over the top of me. He's like, oh, said, get up. And I was like, oh, shit, what happened? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know what it feels like. And I, I've had that yeah. happen to me, too. But I don't know. I, I, I just think, oh, what I was saying about Iowa State fans, there's there's a couple of Iowa State fans in my match and saying that they are right for not calling a foul. It was incidental contact. I'm like, that's just not how basketball should is officiated at the end well, of the day. I think that a lot of people are assuming that anytime they foul someone, you're meaning to do it. You know, it's like all contact in basketball mostly is incidental, you know, like 95% of fouls are incidental. Right. And that, that was what my thing was. It's like, yeah, it absolutely should have been a foul. I don't think that, and I I think I said to you, I I don't think there's malicious intent behind it of like, Oh, I'm going to take this guy out, you know? Cause I just don't think that that's, I don't think that's a very realistic way to look at it. But there are certainly people out here who thought that that was the case. I'm not saying you, but there were people out there who thought that was the case. And I was like, that just is hard for me to believe that that thought process can happen that quickly of like, I'm going to injure this person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm 100% not saying there was malicious intent behind it, but. Apparently karma got him because Caleb Grill's the one who's injured now and Dylan Mitchell isn't. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But. I don't know. I, I think there should have been some repercussions, whether it was ejection or a, for sure a flagger. There should have been a flagrant foul called. Yeah, that that's got to be, and that's like you got to blow the whistle, man. When someone goes up in the air and gets flipped on, like gets flipped fa- parallel to the floor, somebody's got to blow the whistle. I don't care what the circumstances were that led up to it, and you can go and review it and decide if you want to put a flagrant. But at the very at the bare minimum, it has to be a foul. You know, which again is why I'm saying officials are so oblivious to the game of basketball like how do you not see that well the best part is that it happened right in front of him you know it's like what are you watching it's it's bizarre it's bizarre what i want to i want to crawl into a ref's mind during the game like going in a ball and someone surgically implant me in their mind i just want to understand what's going on you should go to a officiating school like smush parker have you heard about that oh that would be electric i could film it all and stuff yeah, I think he's trying to make it back to the NBA as a as an official now. Smush Parker, if if he becomes an NBA official, he single handedly almost like Kobe Bryant almost killed him when he played with him. Well, yeah, I was gonna say Kobe Bryant ruined his life, so he said, "You know what? I'm gonna do, Kobe. I'm gonna go and be an official and ruin other people's lives." <laughs> That's quite the get back strategy. The only one, the only one that we need to get in the officiating crew that could be better is if Kwame Brown joined the join oh the squad God. and then Holy then God. every time that he gets a hornets game it's just it's open season bad night to be the goat if uh if kwame brown comes in as the official how absurd was that lakers lineup with kwame brown and smush parker back in the days that was insane when kobe was scoring 80 and it was like that was the only way they're gonna break 100 as if scores kobe scores 60 points Dude, yeah that was that was an absurd time for basketball uh, who else was uh, Luke Walton? Luke was, Walton was one of the one of the main I think guys. Trevor Ariza was a part of that team too. 
Yeah. Uh, Andrew Bynum, young Andrew, Andrew Bynum. Bynum. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's a time when people thought Andrew Bynum was the future of basketball that, and it wasn't that long ago. That's the crazy part. He signed like a max deal with the Sixers. And then I'm not sure that he ever played a game for him. Anthony Bennett too. He was on the Lakers, but he did the same thing. Anthony Bennett's an all timer because the people on TV knew the second that he got drafted, how horrible that pick was. Like how often is it that the second someone gets drafted, everybody's like, Oh shit, they fucked that up really bad. That's the best thing during draft night when you're watching the, the draft and they just draft someone bizarre. And everyone just erupts in the stands. (laughs) One of my favorite ones of all time was Fred Frischilla got brought on to talk about some international guy. And he said, he's a year away from being a year away. Mm. That's like the worst, like the worst compliment you could ever receive. I think he's a year away from being a year away. Another one I've heard. This was like meant to be a compliment. It was, uh, you know, it was about a former Iowa state player. His head coach said he's a great area rebounder which is not a thing, not a thing you want to be as an area rebounder. It means that the, if the ball goes straight up in the air, you can catch the ball. Yeah. Uh, and, and he said it like it was meant to be a compliment. And in the back of my mind, I was like, that was the like most backhanded insult I've ever heard a college coach ever give one of his own players in under the veil of it being a compliment. I'm not going to lie, though. Coaches come up with some insane lines like that. Like I have literally probably – 200 quotes on my phone from what coach McCaffrey said over my career this shit i literally whenever i pull it up i die laughing because it's just stuff yeah yeah yeah, it's just crazy yeah it's just stuff that you're like the more you listen to college coaches talk the more you realize that they say a lot of things that make no sense but i think a lot of people do that you know it matt campbell always used to talk about nor uh about normality I don't know if normality is he like uses things that are not real words a lot that are just like you you sit there and you're like what the fuck are you talking about man <laughs> you go back and transcribe it and you read through it it's like this isn't even a coherent thought but in the moment it sounded like it made sense that they're masterminds at that like making not coherent thoughts coherent yeah yeah, it seem seem like they're you're actually like saying something. Deion yeah. Sanders is really good at that. You know, yeah, Deion yeah. Sanders says a lot of things that you walk away and you're like, man, he probably could have done that in about half as many words as what he did. Right. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, what a what a time. Uh, all right, Iowa State going on the road this weekend, going to Missouri uh, for the Big Twelve SEC Challenge. What do you, what do you think of the Big Twelve SEC Challenge in the middle of Big Twelve play or in the middle of SEC play? I guess on the other side, and how, how do you feel about that? I mean, I, I I don't mind it. I think it's good for the game of basketball to shake it up a little bit. But I mean, if I'm Iowa State, I'm like, what are we doing? We're going uh, we're going to play Missouri in the middle of the yeah. hardest Big Twelve schedule that the Big Twelve has had in years. Like this is one of the best conferences it's been. Right. Well, so, I saw I saw today that Iowa State's gone on since they moved the Big Twelve SEC Challenge to January. Iowa State's gone on the road six of eight years in the event. Okay, if if I'm the head coach, I'm like, how is this even possible? Yeah, like we got to figure out the scheduling a little bit. And then, and the worst part is they don't even get like marquee games. You know, like they're going to Ole Miss yeah. or playing Mississippi State or something like that, or or Missouri. They played Missouri back to back years in this thing. Like at what point do we too this year? Yeah. Last year they weren't very good, but this year they're good. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you sit there and it's like, okay, if we just want a reason for Kansas and Kentucky to play each other, why don't you just put that on the schedule? You know, I I don't know. I I think it is good for the game of basketball, but there's some schools like Iowa state who are just talking about that. Just get the short end of the stick. I think that's happened a lot with the Gavit games. I think, I think part of the reason why the Gavit games aren't going on, I think, I don't think they're – I think it's maybe next year they're discontinuing. I think this was the last year. This is the last year, I think, of the Big 12 SEC Challenge as well. Yeah. The teams just get the short end of the stick on their matchups. I mean, you, it's physically impossible to match up the best teams a year ahead of schedule and expect the best matchups possible for each of the teams. Like, mm-hmm. you have teams that just completely are totally different than what you expect, especially now with the transfer portal. I mean, it's going to be physically impossible to ever do cross-conference matchups in, the, in like, home-away contracts in the, in the coming years because you just don't know who's going to be good anymore. 
I think the best thing they could do, this is a uh, outside the box idea. If they want to do it like this and have it be in January, why not make it? All right, so we're going to play the last Saturday in January. The Saturday before that, before all of our games tip off, we're going to have an event on TV and we're going to announce the schedule of games and we're going to match them up based on where they're at in the league standings or whatever, you know, like do something to create the best matchups that we possibly can and not have it be where it's made in the preseason. And I know there would be a lot of logistical things to that with with hotel rooms and travel and all that kind of stuff. I would like to think that there's a way that it could be worked through, you know, and I think that would be cool. It's like, all right, we get to the second week and third week in January and you know, next week we're going to go play the number two team in the sec. You know, we're we're the number two team in the big 12. We're going to go play the number two team in the sec and so on down the line. Instead of it just being like, yeah, I don't know. We might have to go play Vanderbilt or whoever, like someone that I don't even think the sec has Vanderbilt play in the event because Vanderbilt's so bad, you know? So just, yeah, it is like, why not? We know it can happen. We know we can do these kinds of things. Why don't we just do them? You know? Well, we know NCA officials aren't the greatest at figuring stuff out. I'm counting like commissioners and mm-hmm. conference as NCA officials. They're just I think I think the reason why that doesn't get done is because it would be too much of expense and too much time commitment for these administrators to make it work. God forbid everybody has to go to work, right? Right. Yeah. They they just don't want to do it. So I think that's what it comes down to, in my opinion. They could make they could make that like that could be a huge event. Like the Phil now I feel like the Phil Knight Classic is like kind of what you're referring to if something was along the lines of mid season form, because that would be perfect. Unbelievable yeah. I'm interested to see what uh if anything replaces some of these things now. I think I mean the Big Twelve has their deal that they do with the the Big East, but it's like why not try and do one with the ACC or whoever, you know, or even make it a revolving thing that like every year you're going to have somebody different that you're going to do it with, you know, and make it like a rotation. This would require a lot of collaboration from people that are not going to collaborate on anything because they all are worried about their own bag. But it's like, if they all came together and said, Hey, we're going to set it up that in the month of, you know, the same kind of thing, like in the month of January, everyone's going to get an opportunity to play a quality game and you're going to get an opportunity to get a quality win. If that, you know, if, if you can win your game, but it's like, that would be huge for teams in the PAC 12, you know, or huge for teams in the sec or teams, huge for teams in the ACC where you don't have as many opportunities to go and get quality ones in the regular season as you do in some of these other leagues. And that just is, I don't know. I think to me that that's a no brainer, but I can also see where if I was a big 12 coach, I'd be like, man, we don't want to go fucking play anybody from the sec right now. Like we we're in the middle of this big 12 thing. Give us a Saturday off. That's what we want. And that's a sad thing too. If I was a coach in college, I would love to, I mean, I know head coaches aren't really necessarily the main source for scheduling games, but I would want to play every possible high-level game as po- as possible you can throughout the season. But I mean, we've said this before, like the Big Four Classic, like discontinuing um, early on in the year when we were talking about that. Like it, it could easily be done. Like you just do away with the buy games, and how much money is being given away just to have an extra W on your schedule is it's actually crazy to think about. Like the expenses that are involved with it and logistically everything that has to do with just getting a buy game on your schedule. Well, things like that could exist if like you would incentivize them, you know, rather than have it be, Oh, if you win 20 games, you get $150,000 or whatever it is. And it don't matter if your 20 wins come against Jackson state or come against whoever, whoever, you know, like you're just, all right, well, I guess I got to get 20 so I can get my 150. That's all, that's all that matters, you know? And they don't want to make their job any harder to have to go and get that 20 wins to get their money. And I'm not saying that's what every coach is like, but there's a lot of them out there that that is the mentality of like, why would I make my job harder? You know? I, I think it would be, I think it's honestly a lot higher percentage as coaches that have that mentality I, I mean i honestly would think it's 95 to even damn near 99 percent of the coaches think that way like oh if i get this amount of wins in my contract this year like, that's a good year mm-hmm. but that's also like i think we referred to us this as well earlier on in our podcast that 
I mean, ego, ego is so highly driven in college sports. I think that has a large part to do with it. I mean, you look at some of these college coaches and their interviews and what they say, like, and granted, there's a lot of good ones out there, but I think egos are such a huge driving force and everything that we're just talking about scheduling and, and getting to that win amount, getting that bonus. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's about money and we everyone knows that. Everybody knows that this that college sports would really get back to the way they're supposed to be if we'd all just follow the Clemson model and get into the it, build our teams in God's name image. <laughs> that was the most cringe thing ever. And he thought he was doing something with that. Oh yeah, he thought he was doing something. He thought he was he thought he 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 landed one. This is going to be on my headstone. And he sat back after he said it, and he's like, "That was that was the greatest thing I've ever said in my life." And he was wearing that orange suit coat. He looked like a like a, a televangelist guy that's on at like one <laughs> o'clock in the morning, you know, telling people call now uh, to help us be able to spread the word of God. Pledge your uh, pledge your funds to help us be able to spread the word of God. Seriously, though, unbelievable. Dabo's going to end up on ABC Family at, at paid programming at eleven o'clock <laughs> at night. <laughs> Whatever, whatever it is, he looks like someone that can do that too. Oh, one hundred percent. That guy there in a past life, Davos Sweeney was one hundred percent a televangelist, and he was one hundred percent a dirty one. Like, you get, take, just took his parishioners' money and then just went and bought a private jet with it. Yeah, just took off. All right. Uh, basketball conversation on the podcast brought to you by our friends at Sweet Caroline's Kitchen and Cocktails on Main Street in Ames. It's the perfect place to go before or after Iowa State home games, anytime the Cyclones are on the road, or anytime the Hawkeyes are in action. It's a great spot for late night fun with a Southern inspired menu with a great collection of burgers, sandwiches, wings, and of course, Caroline's famous fried chicken. The atmosphere is incredible with plenty of TVs to watch any game on your radar. And there's a party room available for rent for your next big gathering. That's Sweet Caroline's Kitchen and Cocktails at 316 Main Street in Ames, the presenting sponsor of all of our basketball conversation right here on the podcast. Uh, All right, Hawkeyes dropped a tough one last Sunday or last Saturday in Columbus. Uh, 93-77 was the final there. Huge three-game stretch coming up for this team. Uh, Going on the road tomorrow to take on Michigan State. Uh, and then they've got Rutgers coming into uh, Iowa City on Sunday. And then, you know, we talked about this last week with the rescheduled game against Northwestern. Now you got three games in five days, uh, two of them uh, against really quality opponents. And then Northwestern's no slouch either. And now they're going to be a team that's like had two weeks off in the middle of the season. Uh, first of all, what were your thoughts on that, on the game against Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, they just ran into a team that was desperate. Um I think it's said a lot about teams that are desperate during this time of the year. They're generally the teams that are going to get a win. And it was just kind of the worst time to play. Oh, first off, a road game coming off a postponed game that you should have been at home, Big Ten Conference game. The odds are in your favor to win that game. Get that postponed, then you go to Ohio State team that's desperate and searching for their identity and a win. It was just the worst-case scenario for Iowa to come in and try to get a win. I, I kind of figured that – Everything that was going to happen did happen, and at the end of the day, they have a, they had a quick turnaround. They played tomorrow against Michigan State against at Michigan State, which is one of the hardest places to play in the whole country. Um, this is a huge stretch for them. I think if they can get out of this three game stretch and get two wins, it's a huge another morale builder for this team to continue getting getting to that NCAA tournament talk. I think they're they're in it right now. Um, but they're, they still have a lot of work to do. They're going to have to get a couple more big-time wins. They're going to have to take care of, of, of their home games. Um, they're, they're in a tough stretch right now. I think I think if the same thing stands, they get to 10, 11 conference wins, they're sitting really good to get in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, having a lot of good teams helps for, for this from a Michigan State standpoint. What makes it hard to go and play there? I think just the environment. What For whatever reason, Michigan State, I mean, they get away with murder their players on on their home court and the refs allow it the the fucking black and white stripes allow allow you're playing eight on five in east lansing you're playing eight on five um then it's not fair um and you have just fans just literally on top of you student sections right there it's loud one of the last places to play 
And Michigan State always plays really, really hard at home. I'm not saying they don't play hard at, at away games, but anytime you're at home, the Big Ten teams are going to play a little harder. So they're going to have to come ready to play. The first four minutes in the last – the first four minutes and the last four minutes of the first half are going to be a huge telling for how this game will go. Um, but again, Iowa has came out of holes a lot throughout the, through this year already. Um, you look at Indiana game. Uh, I feel like they're always, they're kind of like that comeback team last year and Chris Murray stepping up extraordinary during important times. I mean, he, he got hot during the Ohio state game and I thought they were going to pull in within eight. Um, but for whatever reason, once it was around eight and nine, Ohio state always answered, but, yeah, Michigan State, it's it's a weird environment, man. It's a like bowl shape. I feel like it's a lot similar to Iowa. Like, the court's down below. Everyone's on top of you. Something about that green, man. Like, it's it flat. When they're wearing, when they're, when there's a whiteout or when there's, they're all wearing green, it just, like, reflects off the court. Like, it's weird to say, but it's, like, it's something that you can't even explain to someone if you had to. Like, it's just a crazy place to play. They have a really light colored court too, don't they? Like yeah. it just is, yeah, it's just a you're just blinded by all the white out and the light colored floor. That mm-hmm. can't be legal. There there has to be some conversations at some point. We got to say, "Hey, we can't let them do this." This is like the blue turf at blue turf at Boise. Right. It, it's similar and I mean having three extra people on your team too <laughs> is always a beneficial um, benefit, especially when those guys are so- blinded too. We are and they're blind to begin with. Right. I mean, how do you ref a game when you're blinded by the court and you're actually blind? Like, it's just, that's just a bad combination. It's a really bad combination, Jared. The three blind mice rolling up into East Lansing. They got their walker or their, uh, their sticks and stuff. They're walking around out in front of them with. This is also one of the games, too. I think I've said this about the Iowa State Iowa game. The three officials that are refing this game, it, it's going to matter. It will. If it's yeah. like a, if it's like a Courtney Green and Paul type combination, like Iowa's done for. I, Michigan State will kill at least four people on Iowa basketball team, and nothing, <laughs> no charges will be brought upon them, no foul will be brought, up, and they'll get away with a twenty point win. It's gonna be Courtney Green. Uh, it'll be Courtney Green. Uh, Brian Dorsey and Doug Paul Sermons. Dunn. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> Yeah. The three guys most likely to give Frank McCaffrey a technical. That'll be the three people that it is. If there's like a crazy turn of events during this game, I, I just want people that watch it, watch Tom Izzo and how re- he reacts. And you, I want, I want you to reflect hard, long and hard about what you, this is mostly directly to a lot of Iowa State fans. I want you to think long, really, really long and hard about what you guys have said about Coach McCaffrey and freaking out and throwing tantrums. And I want, and I want you to, I want you to personally uh, reflect on everything that you have responded to me about, to Coach McCaffrey about, to even the Iowa men's basketball Twitter account about the Def Cons with Fran McCaffrey. I want you, I want you to really reflect on where am I at as a person? And am I truly believing what I've been saying on social media? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to find a single Iowa state fan. That's going to defend Tom Izzo, not one. So I I think that they can all come together for this. Uh, I think Tom Izzo long since burned all of his bridges and aims since the 2000 elite eight game at, at the palace of Auburn Hills like Mm -hmm. that. I think that there's not going to be any love lost for, for coach Izzo and the Spartans from the Iowa state side. It's something about him being this is gonna come out bad, but something about him being so small and throwing the tantrums that he does. I mean, well, it's just it's a lot less menacing. If if you know if Jawan Howard's gonna throw t- throw tantrums like that, like it's just it's a big guy, you know, big fucking guy, and he he throw he throws punches. Like you're not gonna see Tom Izzo throw a punch, you know. Like I I don't know. It, is Tom Izzo a nice guy when you've talked to him? Oh, he's phenomenal. Yes, he's phenomenal. I've always had great interactions with him. I've never had a bad experience off the court with him. He's always been very kind, very appreciative of my game, appreciative of our, how Iowa has played. But on, my, on the court, I think he gets away with a lot of stuff on the sideline. That 
I mean, generally, if I didn't play for Iowa and I played for a coach that was a complete opposite personality as Coach McCaffrey, maybe I would be a little impartial for how Izzo reacts on the court. But, again, it's that double standard, man. I just think it's it's crazy to me that some of the stuff that happens. Turns out it pays off to be an old head that has, like, built up a reputation across, like, 30 years of coaching, you know, that you're going to get to be able to get away with a lot. Right. I mean, that happens throughout the whole league, too. I mean, look at the – but for whatever – I mean, I don't know. Coach McCaffrey, I feel he's built up a reputation, but – You see, even Fred, just, Fred Hoiberg got a technical last week in the Big, in the Big Ten. And that's crazy to me because yeah. Fred Hoiberg is, like, one of the most calm coaches in the whole country, in the whole world. Like, I don't, I don't know. Refs suck. They do. They do suck. Uh, I saw a bracketology last week that uh, had Iowa State and Michigan State playing each other in Des Moines in the in the tournament, and I saw a bunch of Iowa State fans right about yes, yes, we want that. <laughs> we it's time. It's time for Michigan State to come to our turf now. You know, after uh, after man, after that game in two thousand, that environment man would be incredible. Oh, imagine. Imagine a scenario in which Iowa State and Kansas are in the same region, are both playing in Des Moines, and then somehow play each other in Kansas City to go to the Final Four. That place, I, I, the roof would literally blast off. I'm not if, even... if, if Iowa State or Iowa ever played an NCAA tournament in Des Moines, that would be like one of the biggest sporting events in the history of, of Iowa sports, you know? Was it my? It was the 2020, whenever COVID was. I think there was a Des Moines site that year. I don't remember that when it Ske- got flipped. a scheduled one, right? Yeah, not. Yeah, and then it got flipped to Indianapolis for the bubble. Yeah, like I remember how because we were really good that year. We had a chance to get to Des Moines site, and imagine like the whole season changes. Like honestly. I mean, you may you make a home environment out of an NCAA tournament game. There's, it's just almost impossible to beat a team mm-hmm. like that. Like, because yeah. we did, we did it. We played, we played Cincinnati in in Ohio, my junior year, and it was literally filled to the brim with Cincinnati red. And we're like, first of all, we're a ten seed playing a seven seed. Like, how the fuck does that happen? A seven seed gets a home game, but. It is such a huge advantage. Like we we were down like eighteen or nineteen, and then we came back and won. But that is such a huge advantage for a team to have a home setting like that. Yeah, that'd be pretty incredible if they're able to play in 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 Des Moines. I mean, it, it's always fun when the NCAA tournament comes here, anyway. But just if you can get Iowa or Iowa State in there, man, that would be that would be special. You know, I think for for everybody that could be could be part of that. Um, all right, last couple things I've got on basketball. Uh, I mentioned Steve Prome before. Uh, he he's joined our crew of, of hating the officials. Last night he chased an official out the tunnel after the game. Uh, I would imagine he was calling him all kinds of nice names, uh, asking for his address so that he can send him a Christmas card. Uh, it, the, one of the funniest things I've seen in a while was the Southern Illinois coach. Southern Illinois won the game, as I'm sure people can imagine, if the opposing head coach is chasing the officials out of the gym, but. Uh, He's walking down the sidelines, has his hand out to shake somebody's hand, and there was nobody there. Steve Brown's gone. He he's he's out. I, that's just great entertainment for the TV people in the back, just to. Oh, I'm sure. Them. I'm sure all 500 people who were locked in on ESPN Plus felt like they got their money's worth. This is gonna be off topic for a second, but. For as big as ESPN is, the games they broadcast on ESPN Plus is criminal. Complete dog shit, dude. Complete like dog they, shit. They are so bad at producing those games. Like at the at the point is like not even worth it to even have yeah. it on ESPN Plus. Yeah, we need competition badly in the college athletic um, space. It's bad. Like I, I've yeah, I've watched probably dozen games on ESPN Plus this month, and I'm like. First of all, who the fuck are these commentators? They have no idea what they're talking about. And two, like we're zoomed into a guy's face while we're mid mid possession. Mm-hmm. I'm not even knowing what's happening. Like, can we 
Or we have a graphic just hogging the whole screen and the game's going on. We flipped to a guy making a three. That's my favorite one is when we come back from halftime because we didn't have a halftime show for whatever <laughs> reason. You know, come back from halftime after the canned production thing that they had from before the game. And then they put a, a graphic on half the screen that covers up the basket. <laughs> And then someone will score every time. And I'm like, what the fuck? What happened? I didn't, no one can see. They're covering up the screen with the graphics. These people are idiots, dude. Like they just aren't thinking about anything that they're, of what they're trying to do. Like, do, are we here to watch the game or are we here to like show off all the cool graphics we can do? Like, come on guys. It happened last night. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember which game it was, but they're showing the, uh, SEC seating lines. For oh, Jesus. And had Joe Lenardi in his fucking bunker. Yeah. And it had all like, it had, it had like the right seating, like numbers. It had the right logos, but just <laughs> random ass teams, like in different, like Auburn was in Alabama spot, Arkansas was in like Kentucky spot. I'm, I'm looking at, I'm like, I thought I was going like crazy for a second. I'm, I'm You're like, like, do I have a stroke? I'm like, am I dying? Am I, am I dying right now? <laughs> Imagine what the announcers who have to talk about those things, like that pops up and it's like, what the, like, what am I looking at right now? You know? And you don't want to be the one that's like going to call out the people working the game with you, but it's like, is this fucking amateur hour out here? Like, what are we doing? Betsy, what are you doing back there? Right. It that man, it, the thing that it just really bugs me because it's like you know they put so many Big Twelve games on that ESPN Plus, yeah. and it's like I refuse to believe that we don't have the money or the infrastructure necessary. Like I don't, build a fucking studio somewhere. I don't care where it is. It could be Dallas, Texas. It could be at the Big Twelve offices for all I care. Hire two people, and their entire job is to do halftime shows for Big Twelve basketball games, and that's it. That's all you do. And it's like, you don't have to pay them a million dollars. They just come in and they do 20 minutes every night on big 12 basketball games. And that's it. You know, that's a, that's like the easiest thing that you could ever imagine. But for some reason, that's apparently really hard for people at ESPN to figure out. Sounds pretty feasible in my opinion. you could even do it like remotely too. Like you don't even like, you could easily make a good production remotely. They did it during COVID. It's not like they haven't done it before. I will volunteer to sit at, Hilton Coliseum at a game and do the halftime show for ESPN Plus if that's what I have to do. That'd be a lot. A hundred dollars a halftime show and I'll do it. Uh, that's you're it. selling yourself short. That's my rate. Well, that's I, so I'm, hey, I'm a man of the people. All right, true. I'm a man of the people. I know the people need the halftime show. Right now, what we're doing is not getting it done. If we need to come up with a better idea, I'm here. Just do it for free then. Brett Yormark, call me up. Let's do it. Let's get it done. Uh, but no, I knew the officiating in that game last night had to be horrendous because Steve Prom's like the most mild mannered guy that I've, I've been around. One of the most mild mannered people I've been around in basketball. And for him to be losing it on the officials like that, I was like, man, this, this is, we're down bad out here in the Missouri Valley, I guess. He's like one of those coaches that want to be like a psycho on the sideline, but he just, he just can't do it. Like he's just not a guy personality wise can do it. And when he tries, it comes off so disingenuous because he's not that way. You yeah. know, like it just like comes off like, Hey man, we're good. Yeah. We don't need it. You he's know, he's a peacemaker at the end of the day. Not, that's not what you, not what you've told me before. No, that's what well, I try to tell you. He, he was making peace. He was trying to be the bigger man. I was trying to I was trying to be nice to Iowa State, but uh, no, he wasn't. Well, he's not here anymore, so yeah, uh, yeah, say whatever you want now. Well, part you guys, it, don't don't worry. You're not going to say anything about Steve Prom that nobody else has already said before. So, well, no one else got pushed by him during a game. So, assaulted allegedly. <laughs> that was crazy. I'll fun. never forget that. That was and it was just so stupid too. It was like at the oh, most. It. That, which is why I never brought it up, like in the heat of the moment, because I'm like, all right, this is just a dumb situation. But he literally, like, I was literally pushed by a opposing coach. It was just like all out. I wasn't uh, even doing anything. I was literally just in a conversation. Like, we were talking shit back to back with players. Like, who was it that did start that? Was it Pemsel? It was Jacobson, dude. He was. Okay. Jacobson was. Pemsel was he was a great player to play with because he would just love talking shit. 
and him and Jake Jacobson was a similar type personality. So Michael Jacobson had a had a pretty good college basketball career. I think Michael Jacobson's playing the sport that he should have been playing. Yeah, all along now. One hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> if we're being quite frank, like he don't get me wrong, he played a lot of college basketball and had a good career. But man, that guy should have been playing football. Like, every time I watched him play, I was like, this guy should have been playing football. I remember playing him in uh, in high school, and I'm like, dude, what is this guy doing on the basketball floor? Like, this isn't fair. Mm-hmm. He's he, he's he should be running with the ball, not dribbling a ball. <laughs> yeah, he should have been the starting tight end at Iowa State, not the starting center. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, last thing I wanted to talk about before we uh, before we sign off this week, uh, you got to be part of the Chris Street documentary for Big Ten Network that was released last week. Uh, kudos to you for your role that you played in that. Man, that was as powerful, I think, of, of sports content as I've seen in in a very long time. An important story that I think can, needs to continue to be told. And there's a lot of people in the state of Iowa, a lot of young people especially, that don't know that story. You know, and every year it comes back up and every year it's, you know, we talked about it for a couple of weeks or whatever, but I think it's hard for anyone who wasn't there. I mean, I wasn't even there, you know, to truly comprehend and you obviously weren't there, but to truly comprehend like what, how important he was to people in the state of Iowa in a place where we only get so many of them once, you know, those guys that are going to go and do all those great things like that it just tears you up every time you think about it, you know. Yeah, I, I think the Big Ten Network did an extraordinary job telling the story, and I mean, I continue giving all all the props in the world to the Street family for allowing so many thousands, millions of people into their lives and their stories because that is so hard to do to be so transparent about not only their son's life, but their own lives and the tragedy that they faced and continue to deal with. That's hard to allow people in your life and have people experience and share the same memories that you, that you hold so true to your heart. And not a lot of people could do that. And I truly believe Mike and street or Mike and Patty street are, so incredibly special for that and i and like you said i i wasn't really too known of chris street when i was first getting on the campus or beforehand and then when i first got on campus i learned about chris street right away and the story and mike and mike and patty street being there from day one and it's crazy to think <clears throat> when i first met him and I remember Patty giving me a hug and Mike giving me a hug and we were just meeting and the strong connection that we felt from day one, it was almost like my, my opportunity to get to his record and, and do what I was able to do. It was almost like it was destined to happen, which is, it might sound a little crazy to say, but um, it, it, it was, a, it's truly looking back on it and being in the moment too, when I first did miss the free throw, I, it was something I never really, I mean, I knew it was important, but it was, I didn't think it was as big as what, what had happened. And now looking back and think about all the memories I had with that family and continue to be so close to them. Like, it, it's crazy how, just how life works, man. And I truly believe like God has a plan for every single thing and every single reason that happens in your life and everything that you go through as a person, everything, every decision that you make down the line. It's, it's something that I will, their, their, their relationship I have with them is truly like a family relationship. Like Patty, she makes me call her grandma. Like that's how, that's how close we are. And there's just no better people to represent that university than those Mike and Patty and the whole entire family. Yeah, the you mentioned you say the part about how God has a plan for for everything and the moment when they they have his bible and they pull out the highlighted verse and what uh I'm I'm going <laughs> to paraphrase it paraphrase it cuz I don't have the bible verse memorized but it's talking about the seeds and how you have to how something has to die for the seeds to drop for it to grow was as powerful as I think a message I think I've ever heard in anything like that, because it's everyone thinks that you look at what Chris street's doing and you understand what God's plan for him is that he's going to go and be an NBA player. And he's going to go and be this beacon of hope for, 
for athletes in the state of Iowa. And the reality is that he had, on some level, subliminally, he knew that the plan for him was not to do that, you know? And that that is so incredible to me. And it's like, and for him to have highlighted that verse and for that to speak to him the way that it did, that's what it tells you where like God did have a plan for Chris Street and it was bigger than basketball. You know, it's bigger than anything else. And it's about showing people, teaching people to do things the right way, teaching people to live their lives the right way and to be good people. And it's not about the stuff that happens on the basketball court. And that just, to me, that was, uh, it had me crying, you know, like I'm sitting there and I'm just like, shit, man, like this is just, it's, it's incredible that someone from the state of Iowa could mean like this much, you know? Yeah. And the, the amount of people that are impacted by him. Yeah. Yeah. It's absurd. You think about it down the line. I mean, he's changed not only my life and I never met him, but hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people that have listened to his story and the family story, allowing, allowing people to understand everything that they went through. Chris has single-handedly changed the trajectory of not only university of Iowa basketball, but the state of Iowa as a whole. I truly believe that just by what he meant to the university, what he was to so many of his friends and teammates, how many people loved him, how Mike and Patty have handled the tragedy that has occurred. I mean, it is the ultimate Iowa story, in my opinion, of being good people, having the worst of the worst thrown at your lives and continuing to understand God's plan, continuing to love your neighbor continually to loving each other that are not even a part of your lives. That is, that's so powerful and something that I've truly have tried to continue to feed off of, especially after college, like th- this, this man I've never met, but he is as, as close as a brother as I can ever imagine. Yeah. I think that that is definitely worth a watch for anybody out there who has not, uh, has not taken the time to sit down and do that. It's about an hour It is definitely, definitely worth it um i think everybody will walk away feeling like they they got something out of it and just to learn about pretty incredible young man uh all right man we'll talk to you again next week hopefully after uh after some more wins on the court and uh and we'll talk to everybody again soon peace iowa everywhere